0: Hey everybody, thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 9am at Discovery Church in Boise. Where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionvoicey.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption Hill.
1: Good morning. Did you get your coffee? In case you're wondering, yes, church is still going on. Today is just a lot happening. Uh, my name's Jesse Horny. I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Hill. I think I know most of you, but maybe not some of you. Uh, we've been going through First John this summer, and we're getting close to the end of our time together in it, except we won't hear about next week or the week after that because we won't be in church so we pushed it forward a little bit into September and today we're going to talk about a problem that John the author of these letters is addressing very specifically with his intended readers in the late first century but it's a problem that transcends historical and geographical boundaries in a way that affects every single one of us the rising cost of petroleum. Just kidding. You know, I'm sorry, what's happening to me? You put on one jacket and you're just full of bad jokes. <laughs> Robert went on sabbatical and his spirit just landed on me. And here we are. We're not in here? Dang. It's worse if he's not in here, then it's mean. If he's in here, it's funny. <laughs> Just kidding. Today we're talking about false prophets. Ha ha ha. Also so funny. (laughs) Uh, I want you to think about what comes to your head when you hear the word false prophet. Do you have a picture in your head? Here's what I thought about. Uh, Maybe it's a television preacher who says he can heal you through the screen for the low, low price of $10.99 a month. Just reach your hand towards that television screen. Or maybe it's a Colt Leader, whose documentary you recently watched on Netflix, there's a lot of them. When I was thinking about it, I was thinking about when we went to the Mariners game last month, and there's those guys with the sign, who's been to a Mariners game lately? They've got that double stacking sign about following Jesus or burning in hell, and he has his own speaker system, and he's just like walking through the crowd of people, shouting into the microphone about... Repentance and the fiery, fiery uh, pit of hell that you'll end up in if you don't do what he's doing. That, to me, sounds like a modern-day false prophet. But I think, of course, it's more nuanced than that. It's more complicated than that. Otherwise, it'd be super easy to sp- uh, spot false prophets because they'd all have signs or they'd all be asking for money, um, but John wouldn't need to warn us about that. So we're gonna think about it today in our context as well as the historical context to see maybe what God has for us. So I'm gonna be reading in First John chapter four. We're just gonna do one through six today. If you wanna join me, if you brought your Bibles or your phone Bibles. Dear friends, Do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. This is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God and that person has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you remember Kyle taught us isn't one person, it's anyone with a spirit that's against Christ, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Those people belong to this world. So they speak from the world's viewpoint and the world listens to them. But we belong to God and those who know God listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. This is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. Um, I think it's important to just start with the, like a working definition of a prophet because That's a really Bible-y word, um, a really religious word. But there's actually two different ways that the Bible talks about prophets. One is prophets in the Old Testament and one is prophets in the New Testament. And in case you're like me and didn't know this, Testament is just another word for covenant. So there's prophets under the old covenant with God and there's prophets under the new covenant with God. And because we're under a new covenant now, we're not looking at the prophets from the Old Testament. That's not what John is talking about here. That is um, a Hebrew word, says nabu. It basically means like a calling and these prophets were literally called to proclaim the word of God. God was speaking through them, most of the time to foretell what was coming and to warn the people. That's probably what you're thinking about when you think about a prophet because that's how we teach about prophets in the church. Someone who basically gives bad news ahead of time. but the word prophet that John's using here is different because he's using Greek, which is the language that we translate the New Testament from usually. And the word that he's using for prophet means a poet, a person gifted at expositing divine truth, sort of like a translator for the people. And what's really crazy about this word is that we see it all over the New Testament in a way that's calling us to be a prophet. So if I told you you're all called to be prophets and then you're all imagining John the Baptist out in the desert eating crickets or you're all imagining Ezekiel, you're all imagining Jeremiah, it doesn't make sense. But if I tell you we're all called to be prophets and then we have to rethink, well, what's a prophet under the new covenant with Jesus, then we have to take it more seriously. I'm not asking you to give up everything and be a weirdo out on the streets. Being a prophet is something that we do every day in our everyday lives with each other and with the people around us. You guys know that verse in 1 Corinthians about prophecy, like how to use prophecy. Um, in It's Paul talking in 1 Corinthians 14, and this is really, really important. So I actually want you to go to this and I want you to underline verse three when you get there, if it's not underlined already in your Bible, because this is an important part of your call of following Jesus. So Paul is talking to the Corinthians about spiritual gifts and about what it looks like to follow Jesus, and he says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy. We're supposed to eagerly desire prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. This is talking about speaking in tongues, like when you have a spiritual language between you and God. No one understands them. They utter mysteries of the spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. That's the key here, okay? That's the part I want you to underline. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Verse three again, but the one who prophesies, and that's us, speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort, and that's all of our jobs. And this is one reason that John has to warn us to be on the lookout for false prophets because prophets aren't just a really specific one voice in a generation anymore. Prophets, essentially, are everyone who claims to follow Jesus. So we have to really be on our toes now about who's a false prophet. And John says, well, this is how we know about a false prophet, right? If a person's claiming to be a prophet, and they acknowledge that Jesus Christ came in a real body, then we know that that person has the spirit of God. But if they deny that Jesus didn't have a body, then that person has the spirit of the Antichrist. This is a big thing to say. And we really have to ask ourselves, I mean, I was thinking like, well, that guy in Seattle would definitely say that Jesus came in a real body. So is he a real prophet? Or is he a false prophet? One reason that this is a test for knowing what's true or what's not is because there was this group of people that John's speaking specifically about. They're called the Gnostics. And the Gnostics were against anything basically in reality. So they worshipped the spiritual world like the human body was just a disgusting bag of flesh that needed to get we needed to get rid of to become righteous. And our relationships with each other were something that we just sort of had to get through to get to heaven. But the and then they would say, and also Jesus couldn't have had a real body because bodies aren't sacred. There's no way that there could be a divine human because the human body could never be divine. But if Jesus wasn't actually the word made flesh, if his body wasn't actually divine, then his death and resurrection don't mean anything. It just means he was a good teacher who died, whose story has somehow spread 2,000 years later that we're still telling. But the thing is, we don't really need more good teachers. There's lots of them. But if Jesus was divine and not fully human, then his resurrection doesn't mean anything either. Who cares if a God rises from the dead? Of course he would rise from the dead. He is the almighty in a human body. It had to be both or neither one mattered. If he wasn't fully divine, then his life on earth didn't matter. If he wasn't fully human, then his death and resurrection didn't matter. We would expect Jesus to rise from the dead, but the Bible doesn't say that Jesus raised himself from the dead. The Bible says that the spirit of God raised him from the dead. And if that's not the full truth of the gospel, then we know it's a false prophet. It has to be both and. And John's really serious with this about his followers because these Gnostics are coming around and changing what was true about Jesus. great there's your history for today we're going to focus on the second part of the passage because last i checked none of you were gnostics Mm -hmm. raise your hand because you have a different sermon and i'll meet you after church (laughs) just kidding i didn't have time to write two sermons john says but you belong to god my dear children you have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Those people belong to this world. So they speak from the world's viewpoint and the world listens to them, but we belong to God and those who know God listened to us. And if they don't belong to God, they don't listen to us. And that's how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. And um, we hear this sense of dualism again. Remember we talked about how John speaks a lot in these dualistic terms like light, dark, right, wrong, righteousness, sin. It's one or the other. And you can hear that here. And so we're going to use that to sort some of this out. And uh, the first question I want to ask you is uh, what would it sound like to speak from the world's viewpoint? Because that's, that's gonna be um, like the filter that we would have to go through to know if something wasn't true. And a good way to answer that, just like Jesus is with another question. If we wanna know how to speak from the world's viewpoint, then we need to ask ourselves, well, what does the world want to hear? So the next slide map. What does the world say? Three things. Happiness is the ultimate goal. The goal of our lives is to be happy. The goal of our children's lives is to make them happy. We wanna keep our boss happy. We want to be happy. To do that, we need to avoid all suffering. We don't wanna suffer. We don't want our kids to suffer. We don't want any suffering. So you avoid it at all costs. And then, man, I hear this all the time. I don't know if you guys listen to podcasts, but when I hear people basically giving their like ethical viewpoint and, and they're sort of a, um, like they have an elevated view of themselves and, and of other humans, really the best that they can do with a rule of life is do what you want as long as it doesn't hurt others. Do you ever hear people say that? Like you should be allowed to do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt other people. That's the rule in some of like my kids' classrooms. Yeah, you can do that as long as it doesn't bother others. The thing is, this doesn't hold up. Are we always happy? No. Can we avoid all suffering? No. Does it work to only do what you want as long as it doesn't hurt others? No, because you don't know what's hurting others. You couldn't possibly know all the times that you've accidentally hurt others. What a, what a false sense of security to tell yourself that you can do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt others. What that also creates is this sense of like emotional temperature taking, so then we become people pleasers or people avoiders because if I'm really just trying not to hurt you, I've always got to know if you're feeling hurt. What an exhausting way to live, right? It doesn't make any sense. But for us, we're not looking for what the world has for us because, quite frankly, we've tried it, most of us. I have. I spent a long time trying a lot of this. Sometimes it's still tempting to try some of this. We know what God says, and this is what the Word says. Love is the ultimate goal. I've said it before. God doesn't, we don't say God loves. We say God is love. God is the fullness of love and so the ultimate goal that God has for us is love and I'm going to read in John three sixteen, which you probably know from Awanas or your parents but I'm going to go a little bit further for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not per- perish but have eternal life for God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever doesn't believe stands condemned already because they haven't believed in the name of God's one and only son. And this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. Of course, of course you don't want to stand in the light when you're doing what's wrong. Then everyone can see it. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be be seen plainly what they've done has been done in the sight of God. So instead of happiness as the ultimate goal, love is the ultimate goal. Well, then this has to change how we think about suffering, too. Because I don't know if you've ever loved anybody whether it's a kid, or a spouse, or a friend, you have seen that suffering often is the catalyst to change. Avoiding all suffering is avoiding transformation. And the Bible's really clear about that. Paul tells us in Romans, we can rejoice actually when we run into problems and trials because we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And guess what? This hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Suffering develops endurance. Endurance develops strength of character. Character gives us the confident hope of salvation. And in salvation, is the love of God and the love of God tells us who we are and who each other are. Suffering leads us to love, which is the ultimate goal. And this isn't to say that God's like, I can't wait to watch these guys suffer so they can learn how much I love them. That's like when you spank a kid and say, gosh, this is gonna hurt me so much more than it hurts you. It's just not true, it's annoying to get spanked. I remember it, I didn't like it. That's not how God talks to us. Another reason that we know that is because love changes our priorities. My priority in doing what I want as long as it doesn't hurt others isn't you. It sounds like it's you. It sounds like I don't want to hurt you. But what I really don't want is for you to be mad at me. And what I really don't want is conflict in our relationships the love of God, the love of truth shifts our priorities. Remember we talked about this like when we're curving in on ourselves in sin, love is what straightens us back up and turns our faces towards each other. Jesus talks about this in such a bizarre way and I want you to go to this verse too in Luke chapter six, verse 27. We don't hear this anywhere in the world. But to you who are willing to listen, because he knows people don't want to hear this, I say love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek. If someone demands your coat, Offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken from you, don't even try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. It sounds really similar, right? This is kind of what John is warning us about. Do what you want as long as it doesn't hurt others. There's like a nugget of truth in there that sounds just enough like this golden rule that makes us believe it. Jesus says, do to others as you would like them to do to you. You know what step one of knowing that is? Introspection. (laughs) How am I going to know what you would want me to do to you unless I stop and think about it? How am I going to want to know what you want me to do to you unless I step out in some vulnerability and intimacy and ask you what you need from me? It requires so much more of us to follow the way of Jesus, but it also gives back to us tenfold. The way of the world and the way of false prophets is so tiny. And you know why it's so tiny? Because who's at the center? Me. And I am tiny. I'm such an insignificant part of what's happening. The way of Jesus is so much more expansive because it's not about one person. It's about everyone because God is about everyone. He didn't send his only son to save the good people. He didn't send his only son to save the pretty people. He didn't send his only son to save... Just one country. He sent his only son to save all of people throughout all history. And if that's not a more expansive sense of what love and a shift in priorities looks like, I don't know what is. The world is going to make it really small. This is one test of a false prophet. Jesus is going to ask you to widen that net. If you grew up in a Christian environment, which I know a lot of us did, and Redemption Hill is kind of full of a particular kind of person. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, they take their kind of DNA. Dark hair, real loud, bossy. A lot of you guys are very educated. A lot of us make around the same kind of money a lot of us look pretty similar a lot of us live in the same neighborhoods and a lot of us have taken this same path away from the evangelical church a lot of us ended up here because we were looking for something different we didn't like what was happening in church And I know a lot of you and I know that you're in the middle of deconstructing this religious background and trying to rebuild a version of your faith that feels more comfortable and that makes more sense to you and as I was as I was praying and preparing this week I I really had this sense of you, you know, I'm not a super challenging leader, so this is uncomfortable for me, but I, I know that I need to offer this challenge to all of us. So I want you to heed these words. If they're not from me, I would never stand up here and offer abject challenge. I would invite you to a picnic. So I want you to listen and see if this is from the Lord for, for you. We don't trust challenge anymore because challenge has historically meant self righteousness, even some spiritual abuse. But the thing is, Jesus is a challenge and Jesus is offensive. And Jesus requires thoughtful, critical thinking. So maybe here's another way that we can know if we're listening to a false prophet. And these are false prophets in books. And these are false prophets in the podcasts that we listen to all week. And these are false prophets of friends who have also left the church, left the faith, and have something to say to us about their opinions about God, not about the truth about God. The first is maybe that you feel constantly confirmed instead of challenged. The second might be that you're repeating worldly battle cries, memes, instead of godly wisdom. The third might be that you believe your own voice and your own feelings over the loving and consistent voice of the Father. And not because you don't believe the Father, but because you can't remember or you don't know what his voice sounds like in the first place. Heed this warning. If the messages that you're receiving and the people that you're following are giving a gospel where the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are not central. Be careful. The way that we combat this is the way that Jesus combated. And Jesus says it all the time and we see him do it all the time. He goes to the father. And I talk a lot about hearing and doing what the Father says, and I know that some of you are sitting out there like, wow, would I love to hear what the Father says. My own kids say it to me all the time. What do you mean God talks to you? That doesn't make any sense. So I've had to think about this a lot as a mom, as a disciple maker, as a believer. How can we know the Father's voice? Okay, first of all, Does it have an edge? For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The voice of the Father has an edge to it. It's not an edge that's meant to cut us down. It's an edge that's meant to cut us through to the quick. To get to the center of what's happening in our hearts, does it bring peace or fear? Zephaniah tells us For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior, and He will take delight in you with gladness. With His love, He will calm all your fears, He will rejoice over you with joyful songs if the voice that you're hearing does not sound like a joyful song of love, it is not the Father. Even Jesus, when Jesus is baptized, the first thing that God says is, look at my son, everyone, in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus hasn't done anything up to that point. He's just gotten baptized, big deal. God should be talking to John. He's the one living in the desert and is going to get beheaded pretty soon. But no, he says, look at my son in whom I'm well pleased. Guess what? That's the same voice that God has for you. The father's voice, when it's spoken over you, will feel and sound like the most intensely personal, loving song that you've ever heard. It won't sound like anyone else. that last question is does it sound like love God doesn't just love you God is love so when God speaks to you he only speaks one language he can't not love you okay we're on the lookout for false prophets right but the false prophets of our time are sneaky It's insidious, and the thing is, we're choosing to listen. You guys, we have so much control over what we consume. There's no excuse for a life that's inundated by voices that aren't the father's. You pick up your phone. You turn on your TV. We buy the books. We get online. We engage in the gossip. We turn on the podcast. We ask Everyone for advice except the Father. I'm the filter of my own informational stream. I can't embroil myself in the world and and expect to suddenly have complete clarity over when it's the Father and when it's not. Even the world of Christianity. I I read a lot of Christian books. It's what I spend a lot of my time doing because I'm in school, but you become what you consume. And, and some of our tendency is to consume a lot of information and then to become a person who has all the information. If we become what we consume, we have to choose what we're consuming. None of us is above that fact. From the food we eat to the things we drink, the words we read, the entertainment that we think that we're passively receiving every night, the molecules of our brain I mean, literally, the molecules of our brain and our bodies are reforming and regenerating us into new people. It's called neuroplasticity, and it can be used for good, and it can be used for evil. And let me tell you, it is so sneaky how it's being used for evil because it feels good. It feels like comfort. If we want to know what's false and we want to know what's true we have to listen to our father and if we want to listen to our father we have to turn down the volume on everything else that we've allowed to fill up our ears but good news we're in charge of that turn everything off go for a walk you know there's so many studies that show that when we're using both sides of our body our brain starts to rewire our own thoughts.
0: Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org slash connection, where you can fill out the Connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at redemptionboise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.